Thank you very much, Ruth Ann. In light of the song we sang from Psalm 3, and then what Ruth Ann sang, reflect on that as we consider a portion of the Gospel of Mark and what Christ went through as he goes to the cross to pay the penalty for sin. And also in light of the grace that Ruth Ann mentioned, we make mistakes sometimes, we overlook some things at times. And if your birthday or anniversary is this week, it did not appear in the bulletin. I guess that rests with me. So allow me one error in the last day and many, many more in the days to come. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for coming among us in the person of Christ. As we look at a portion of Mark chapter 15 this morning, we want to be open to hearing. And then as we reflect on the cross through communion, the resurrection through communion, we want to grow in responding to your grace as we live in sensitivity to you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. A couple thought questions. Did Jesus receive justice from the Jewish Sanhedrin and from Pilate? Did Jesus demand justice from the Sanhedrin or from Pilate? Should believers today who face rejection, misunderstanding, and persecution expect justice on this side of heaven? Will God, will Jesus see that justice is provided in the future for those who reject and persecute believers? Reflect on those questions as we read together and discuss Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priest, with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin, reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was a custom at the feast to unleash a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate, to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed him over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate, but they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. 
Yet Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. As we discuss this passage this morning, keep in mind that it comes in a context where Jesus had spent three hours in the garden preparing for his trial with the Sanhedrin and with Pilate. While he was preparing, we know that the eleven slept. And chapter 14 ends with Peter disowning Jesus, or denying he knew him, rather. Again, the contrast between Jesus, he prepared through watching and prayer, Peter and the other ten did not watch and pray. The Sanhedrin had come to their conclusion in light of Jesus being truthful when he has asked a very pointed question, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One, in 1461? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of glory. So what happens in order that the Sanhedrin is not doing something that which is incorrect. Last week we discussed that they meet early in the morning, they reach a decision, they bound Jesus, and they're going to hand him over to, the, over to Pilate. The Jews did not have the authority to actually condemn Jesus to die and then carry it out. They had to go through the Roman authority. So they go through Pilate. And as we think about Pilate, some historical information about him. What do we know from the ancient historians in Scripture is not inviting. He, Pilate, was an inept and heavy-handed administrator. He insulted the Jews by having his soldiers bring flags bearing images of Caesar into Jerusalem, almost causing open rebellion. Another time he raided the sacred treasury of the temple, a treasury to be used only for service to God to pay for the building of an aqueduct. Those who objected were beaten by plain-clothed soldiers. Again, he provoked the Jews over an alleged idolatry incident. And ultimately, he lost his job when he ordered the cavalry to attack the Samaritans who were assembled in a religious quest. Pilate was a man who lusted for celebrity and status, who put his career before everything, including people and principle. When he finally lost his position, his life was not worth living. He lacked the traditional Roman virtues of honor and integrity. He lived for his career. In short, he lived for himself. And we would be told that he took his own life. So Jesus is before Pilate. And he poses a question in verse 2. Are you the king of the Jews? This was a question of a religious nature, and in itself was of little concern to Pilate. But the pretension of being a king was a different situation, because if he is going to be king, that would be a concern to the governor for the simple reason that someone is rebelling against Roman authority. But there's no indication in Scripture that Jesus was trying to be king, At that point in time, that comes many years in the future. There's nothing in Scripture, there's nothing in the extra-canonical writings that suggests that Jesus 
had leanings where he promoted his own kingship. Yes, some of his teachings would influence how people respond to the government. But he was not out to become a king. But a very clear question is given. And how does Jesus respond? Yes, it is as you say. And I think the emphasis is on you. Yes, Pilate, it is, it is as you say. It's not a direct affirmation, or Pilate would have had immediate grounds for execution, but it's not a denial. The reply kind of says, Pilate, you would do well to consider this question. The answer is brief. It is non-defensive. What gentleness, what confidence in his father's announcement of who he was. At his baptism, you are the son, or you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Jesus knew who he was. His purpose and all he was facing was due to being king of the Jews. But that is going to be played out in the distant future. So what happens in verse 3? The chief priest accuse him of many things. There's no escaping the religious people. They continue to accuse. Cornered people don't give up easy. I am told, I don't know if I experienced, but Alan would tell me that a rattlesnake, if you see one and you basically leave them alone, you're pretty safe. But if you torment them a little or back them into a corner, they're going to strike. Religious people were after Jesus. As long as they were let alone, they were okay. But they had been cornered. So they strike. They refuse to look at themselves. As they accuse Jesus, clearly states the chief priest accused him of many things. Jesus had shown these people something about their own heart. Jesus became a threat to their power. He didn't fit their expectations. They were expecting a king to come on the scene and set up his kingdom. Jesus isn't doing that. He also exposed their sin. Verse 4 says, So again Pilate asked, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. Jesus doesn't defend. He doesn't explain. Jesus didn't have to explain. And the text clearly says, but Jesus made no reply. And Pilate was amazed. Why didn't Jesus have to explain? Because in chapter 9 and chapter 10, he'd already told the 12 that I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to go to death. I'm going to die. And I'm going to rise from the dead. He knew that was in the Father's will. And he knew part of the Father's will was that he would be before Pilate. He would be falsely accused. So there was no need for him 
to defend. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 7, and talking about Christ, says, As a lamb before the slaughter and sheep before shears is silent. So that's the way Jesus is. He doesn't respond. He makes no reply. And Pilate is amazed. He's kind of filled with wonder. We tend to defend. But Jesus does not. Pilate probably faced many people who were crucified and would have defended. But Jesus does not respond. He does not defend. Again, he knew what was coming. He knew his father's will was the cross. He knew his father's will was rejection. He's fulfilling his father's will. Why does he have to respond in any way? Then in verses 6 through 15, we find Pilate responds to the crown. And it's interesting. Now, it was a custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. So apparently, in past years, Pilate would have released a prisoner at this time of year. And it was common for prisoners to be released sometimes during festival periods in both Jewish cultures as well as pagan societies. So it was a well-known thing that Pilate might release someone. Verse 6, it's a custom to release a prisoner. And verse 7 is interesting. The writer says, Mark says, a man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. So it's clearly stated who is the potential man to be released. But it's interesting, there's tragic irony that a murderer might be released. He's guilty, whereas Christ is innocent. It's not difficult to see in the prisoner exchange a reflection of the substitutionary understanding of atonement. While we were sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. Christ died for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, 1 Peter 3, and verse 18. And in all of this, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is remaining silent. Because he knew he would face an unjust trial and crucifixion. Mark 8, 31 and 32. Mark 9, 30 through 32. Mark 10, 32 through 34. He was fulfilling his Father's will, and he was prepared through watching and through praying. I think this text has a lot to say about how to respond for the Roman believers who are being persecuted for their faith, as we'll touch on in a few moments. He just remained silent as some action is taking place. Verse 8, the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. So the crowd is making a request. Do for us what you usually do. Release someone. And notice Pilate's response in verse 9. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? 
Seems like he's pushing responsibility back on the uh, chief priest, the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin. Why? Because he knew that it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. There's envy in the part of people. They want Jesus crucified. Pilate recognizes that. And Pilate seems to be unwilling to act decisively. So what does he do in verse 9? You know, do you want me to release him? Knowing it was out of envy in verse 11 then, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate released instead of Barabbas. It's interesting, the religious people stirring up the crowd to move, to demand that Pilate release Barabbas rather than Jesus. So notice what happens in verse 12. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. It's a fair fair question. You want me to release someone, what am I to do with this Jesus? And again, feel the crowd. There's intensity here. And they say, crucify him? No. Crucify him! They're intense. Jesus has invaded their territory. He has shown some things in their life that were not correct. So the cornered religious leaders are out to get Jesus along with the crowd. So verse 14, why? Again, a good question. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate? It almost seems like Pilate is maybe defending Jesus just a little bit, but not fully. But again, he seems to be trying to push responsibility off from himself. Why should he be crucified? What crime has he committed? Notice they don't answer him. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him! Ponder what is happening. An innocent innocent man is going to be crucified. A guilty man is going to be turned free. But that's all according to the Father's plan. James Edwards says in his commentary in Mark, and the trial scene is elsewhere in Mark's gospel, Unexplainable ironies confront us. The Jewish subjects, on the other hand, whose duty it is to obey, assert their will and win the day. The governor is thus strangely governed. The free sovereign loses his freedom to forces he presumes to control, whereas Jesus, the silent prisoner who has no control, remains true to his divinely ordained purpose and thus alone remains truly free. 
The description of Jesus' trial before Pilate recalls the description of John's beheading by Herod. Herod and Pilate are both impotent potentates. Herodias and the chief priest are both ancients of provocation. John and Jesus are both silent and defenseless. So what does Pilate do? Wanting to satisfy the crowd. What's his motivation? In this case, he's a people pleaser. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released to them, or released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now keep in mind that the flogging that is going to take place was not something new and uncommon. Thousands of people were crucified in Rome. The flogging was the norm. But nevertheless, it took place because Pilate said, you know, he's to be flogged. And then he handed them over to be crucified. And as we read through the text... Mark seems to just mention in passing that he is flogged and then crucified. There's not a big emphasis on the physical that is taking place. Is that possible that there's not a great emphasis on the physical because Jesus was merely fulfilling his father's will? His father's will was for him to be flogged. His father's will was for him to suffer. The crowd ultimately determines the end of Jesus' crucifixion with Pilate's okay because he wanted to please the crowd. As it relates to his flogging, flogging was cruel and a merciless preparation for crucifixion. The New Testament shows no inclination to sensationalize the passion of Jesus by recounting its horrors. Its restraint and discretion, however, may leave modern readers ignorant of the savagery that preceded and attended a Roman crucifixion. As a prelude to crucifixion, Josephus says the prisoner was stripped and bound to a post and beaten with a leather whip, woven with bits of bone and metal. No maximum number of strokes was prescribed. The surging lacerated and stripped the flesh, often exposing bones and the organs of the body. One of its purposes was to shorten the duration of the crucifixion. But scourging was so brutal that prisoners died before reaching the cross. Women were exempt from either suffering or witnessing the flogging. It was this terrible beating which Jesus was delivered to in verse 15. Again, Mark says that Jesus was handed over. That is, this was done from the wickedness, which was by God's design purpose and foreknowledge. So we read that Jesus was handed over to be crucified, and before he was handed over, he was flogged. That was in God's will for Jesus. 
Now, as we think about this passage, I'm posing a question and I will answer it. How did the Roman hearers hear this passage? They're being persecuted for their faith. They're lighting Nero's garden. They're being thrown to the wild animals and thousands are watching as Christians are being torn to pieces. That was part of their sport of the day. How did the Roman believers hear this passage? Persecution, rejection, lack of justice are part of walking with Christ and knowing God. I think the Roman believers would have heard As Mark wrote, persecution, rejection, and lack of justice are part of walking with Christ and knowing God. John the Baptist had been beheaded, as recorded earlier in Mark's gospel. Roman believers would have heard, we shouldn't be surprised that some of us are dying. I think they also heard that Jesus was prepared for his trial and crucifixion through watching and through praying. So as we think about lighting Nero's garden, as we think about being thrown to the animals, we will watch and we will pray. I think they also heard that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the only way to a relationship with God. We will follow him due to his character, identity, and being. Think about a couple applications as it relates to our living today. What is taking place in our country with people demanding their freedom to express themselves, which results in persecution of believers, is a parallel to the trial of Jesus in some respects. What is happening with the religious leaders, I think, is parallel to our country in some respects, but in a different way. Whether it be, and hear me out on this, whether it be transgender, homosexuality, other things involving sexuality, there's a refusal to consider what God says about their lifestyles. Thus they go into the attack mode, which influences believers and businesses as they seek to apply their faith in Christ. Unless these people are willing to surrender to God, the attacks The persecution of believers will continue. Perhaps we need to consider that fighting back is not wise since Jesus warned us that persecution is a reality for believers. Part of the persecution that is taking place in our country today has to do with sexuality. A different avenue, but still present. We cannot be silent in teaching to our local churches since it is God's will for us as church leaders, parents and grandparents, to teach God's plan for sexuality. We don't need to attack transgenders, homosexuals, and so on, but we need to faithfully teach Scripture. Let us be willing to accept persecution. Even if ordered to change our teaching or practice as a church, Or as a family, we must obey God rather than man. Civil disobedience is in order when civil government resists God. Jesus was persecuted by religious leaders. Many believers in other countries are persecuted by religious zealots. In our country, it seems our persecution 
will come at this time due to sexuality. Justice will not be a reality when those attacking believers refuse to look at themselves from God's perspective. Corner people will not allow justice to be a reality. They would have to admit sin. So understand whether in Jesus' day or Adam and Eve or in our day today, cornered people don't give up. They will pursue and they will hurt others in the process. So persecution comes. Jesus didn't respond. He didn't fight back. He knew it was his Father's will. Will we accept the fact that persecution may be part of God's will for American Christians? That's already happening in our country. Businesses and believers. Complete justice does not come until eternity. Cornered people like Pilate cannot, will not pursue justice since it will put them in a hot seat or different position that may be costly to them. Pilate did not pursue justice. He gave in to the crowd. The Sanhedrin did not pursue justice because they had been confronted by Jesus, so they went out to get him. Be faithful to God and Christ. Do not compromise scripture. Be truthful. So suppose someone comes up to you or in a conversation at work, someone asks you a very direct and pointed question. Do you believe marriage is for a male and female, period, or question mark? They ask you a question, you answer yes or no. And you say yes. That could result in some difficulty in our culture today. They ask a pointed question. Do you think transgenders are following God's design for them? And you answer, and you might be the laughing stock of those around you. Be faithful to God and Christ. Do not compromise. I'm not talking being obnoxious. I'm not talking attacking people. But following scripture, be prepared for rejection and persecution. Watch and pray. Jesus was asked a simple question. Are you the son of the blessed one? Yes. You ask a pointed question and it involves sexuality and you just answer honestly rather than being silent. It may result in some persecution. And I'm not talking death. I'm talking misunderstanding, being made fun of. Follow Jesus. He is the Son of God. And I think that's part of what Mark is saying to the Roman believers. Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's the Son of God. Follow him. Did Jesus receive justice from the Jewish Sanhedrin and Pilate? No. He knew the triumph. Crucifixion were his father's will. Did Jesus demand justice? No. He knew he was surrendered to his father and that he was to face rejection and unjust trial and crucifixion. Should believers today who face rejection, misunderstanding, and persecution expect 
justice on the side of heaven? Probably not, because cornered people won't see that you get justice. Will God Christ see that justice is provided in the future? Yes. He will take care of those who may minister that which is unjust. We think about Christ as going, uh, as going to the cross. Let's sing together as Travis comes and then reflect on Christ and the cross through communion. <laughs>